Hello, everybody, and welcome to Football Unfocused, uh, the podcast in which uh, myself, a football sort of bordering on fanatic, uh, discusses the beautiful game with this. Um, well, I don't know what to, how to describe him. <laughs> I'll actually, let, let's describe him as a, a titan, a titan of the uh, small business industry. Uh, my long-term, long-suffering friend Matthew. Hello, Matthew. <laughs> hey, Mark. Um... Yeah, so this, I was going to try and keep my contributions <laughs> more more concise. Um, I, 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 Why? Well, only because, I mean, Jo isn't particularly impressed with the things that I have to say about football, and she doesn't know a great deal herself. So I just feel that if I'm talking too much, as I did, I think, last week, it's only going to... No. <laughs> The more of you, you are what the people want, mate. They don't want to hear me banging on about half-baked opinions that might have a, a – they do. I mean, my, my opinions, you can call them half-baked, but they do often have some sort of relationship with the truth, whereas yours could come from anywhere. I mean, they really could. They really could, you know, facts about players. I mean, last week you managed to say that Aaron Ramsey was playing for Arsenal. Despite the fact you looked him up, you looked him up, and you must have seen an article that showed that he didn't. It just there was a picture of him in an Arsenal shirt, and and for me that just confirmed. Oh, I must have got it right. Brilliant. I'd just like to make it clear, by the way, this is an attempt at uh, cutting edge political satire that uh, some members of this podcast have been uh, caught on film uh, breaking social distancing rules and uh, uh, fornicating with podcast underlings, members of the production staff uh, that we employed. Now, whilst we accept that in doing so, we have broken we have broken public trust and the rules of the, the, the you know the podcast gods um we still remain com- committed to the task <laughs> determined to carry on and we will not be resigning from our positions <laughs> and i think in saying that that is case closed everyone's satisfied with that aren't they that's the way the world works now isn't that isn't that right matt do what you like say, do, make sure that your actions and words are on different stratospheres and uh Sell a complete lie of yourself to uh, to the outside world, and then when you get exposed, so yeah, it is it is regrettable, isn't it? But I'm carrying on, and that's what we are, Matt. We've we've broken yeah. the podcast rules, and you know, know. by your your. Um, let's just say it's, it was your conduct. Just because it's funny, funnier to imagine yeah, you yeah. cavorting with quite... an underling. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But also, it's it's important to remember the previous occasion when somebody else within our podcasting staff got off with somebody else and then I told I told the police that he should get involved. You're making a veiled reference to Professor Neil Ferguson, aren't you? Whoa just just for just for just for the benefit about? of anyone listening to this who isn't quite as on top of current affairs as Matthew uh, clearly is with his razor sharp commentary. I mean you put you put Julia Hartley Brewer to shame you would, and, and, and I'm sure we're all agreed that, that political commentary doesn't get more concise than uh, than it does from the mouth of Julia Hartley Brewer, the the world's most, even by the standards of right wing reactionaries, she is deeply, deeply unpleasant. You met her. I uh, yeah, I'm not going yeah. to talk any further about it because I met her for business reasons, but. What a despicable human being she is. Anyway, we're not here to talk about that, Matt. We're here to learn more about you. Uh, Matthew, <laughs> what's your favourite chocolate bar? Um, well, my pre-vegan favourite um, was a 
would be a boost. Or a Caramac. I did, I like Caramac. Caramac. <laughs> oh, you, you, you dirty boy. I know. <laughs> you dirty, dirty old dog. I, know. I remember um, when I first started going out with Joe. So it's in our late 20s. And I don't think she'd ever had a Caramac before. Oh, you got... her eyes I know. Well, you. you know, you know. She's me. a lucky girl. Uh, and I saw I saw a pack of four in the in the pound shop. Oh, you're painting <laughs> a picture. Yeah, yeah. Let's just yeah. say that that was that weekend. <laughs> yeah, that was her treat that weekend. Yeah, you said you said you stick with me, love. There's plenty where more where that came from. Yeah, I can go to the pound shop any day you like, uh, yeah, as long well, as it, as long as it isn't more than three times a week because I'm working to a budget. Yeah, and and they've always got Caramax in stock because hardly anyone buys them anymore <laughs> wow um yeah as we all know or anyone who knows you well and and thankfully uh our <laughs> not list- many do <laughs> no but our, our listener slash listeners <laughs> are getting to know you better uh, every single uh, episode and they already they must be building up an impression and if they're not let me go on record to say <laughs> you, you are you are generous if nothing else you know you know with your with your money in particular you you you've you know <laughs> if, if you've got a pound in your in your wallet you'll spend it on someone else that's the kind of kind-hearted uh man that you are you're just you know you're first up to the bar to get your round in you'd never try and dodge anything like that so i realize i'm asking you probably to pluck an example from a, a an, an unbelievably long list <laughs> um, here, but what's the most generous present you've ever bought for for Joe? Shall we say um, the most generous? Uh, um, I got a. Uh, I remember I took her to the Lion King. I think, or maybe it was an ex. Actually, I took to the Lion King, or maybe it's both of oh, God, Joe don't make and my ex. I know. What, you, what on the same day? <laughs> Two for one. Oh God! Um, you need to the, remember that because if Joe I ever, is, I think is, Joe, is, yeah, no, Joe, if, I if, if Joe is ever but... an absolute low ebb and decides to listen to this podcast <laughs> and she realizes <laughs> that you, have, you cannot won't. distinguish between a present you brought for her and one you brought for an ex. <laughs> no, and, no, and the trouble not. is, if this is your ultimate act of generosity and it wasn't spent on Joe. <laughs> Then Man, you've got uh, big problems, mate. Even more than I thought. Uh, no, it's <laughs> no. The world, the world is becoming an increasingly expensive place. See, I don't remember a time when you were ever um, uh, <laughs> splashing <laughs> the cash. I don't think I've ever been anywhere with you where you've gone. I'll get this. I'll get this round in. Like you know, <laughs> uh, uh, and unless. Three or four other people have already bought you a drink and you're sitting again. Oh, God, it's my turn. And you, and you just know that you're going to have to. So, Matt, are we going to continue to talk about uh, the European Championships today? Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. your intention? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I've actually, so I've actually been watching quite a bit of football. I well, you, I, I mean, did, yeah, but hold on a sec, Matt. You had been watching quite a lot of football before last <laughs> week's podcast. And your, your sort of... Um, findings from that your <laughs> in, interesting observations were that Ali McCoyst had said that a guy sh- should have in retrospect he'd made the wrong decision and you were you know <laughs> and what was the other one that the, the Hungarian stadium was full wasn't it uh, yeah yeah that yeah, was it yeah. 
So that was from the first round of group. So now all the group stages are are completed. The the round of sixteen draw, or should it a second round as it as it really should yeah. be called in old money uh, has has been made uh, and confirmed. What what were your, what are your thoughts, Matt? Okay, so I might cut a lot of this out if it's just if it's just too rough. Absolutely anyway. not. I will do. Now that you've said that, I'm going to do the old trick. I'll uh, just keep referring back yeah, to it now. Well, that's every, why I couldn't cut out the minutes. last of. It's I know. You, you weren't. I'm sure, you, and you weren't even probably trying. You just kept. No, I am trying. Looping back to something after about three minutes. I only do this podcast like, up to the editing. stitch you up. Yeah, I, I want to stitch you up. I want to. I want to give you. I want to make your editing of this uh, absolute shambles of a podcast such an impossible <laughs> task that any attempt to sort of airbrush yourself as a more uh, a, a less fallible human being <laughs> falls at the first hurdle so yeah. please the floor is yours Matthew you you messaged me last night and said make sure you have some proper points to make so I wrote them down well I wrote <laughs> some down I thought it was funny how uh, much Graham Soonis and Roy Keane were clearly relishing after the nil-nil draw between Scotland and England, they were just... Yeah. No, Graham Souness especially. Well, Souness was but, but going fair for enough, it that night. Yeah, no, but fair enough, because he was Scottish. So it was like... but And so he, I guess, because also it, was, it wasn't just that he doesn't like the English, but also because Scotland had done really well. But Roy Keane just... just just obviously had no affinity to Scotland, but just clearly just hated the English and thought, well, this is an opportunity. Yeah. It's weird because I always go into his punditry on the assumption that he, he must fucking hate England. I mean, bear in mind that this is a man who stormed out of a World Cup in 2002 after a massive bust up with uh, the Irish coaching um, uh, team and ultimately the manager, Mick McCarthy. And he left them before the start of the tournament and stormed off back to uh, back to the UK. And his uh, allegedly his final words to Mick McCarthy was, "Shove it up your bollocks, you English cunt." So that's, <laughs> that sounds like a man who who probably does have some underlying resentment towards uh, the English. But this is a man who's also lived and worked in England for uh, probably about forty years. And I actually weirdly get the impression from a fair bit of his punditry that he wants them to do well. He he speaks oh, really? up for the team quite a lot. Like the other night, um, when he was, what was it, after the Czech Republic game, he's he's generally quite positive. He's, he's always quite supportive of um, of Gareth Southgate. But but fair enough if you think he was re- relishing in it as much it as... Was, but Sunes yeah. was on top four. Sunes oh, was trending he... on Twitter, right, afterwards. <laughs> and I thought it would just be... I thought it would just be uh, a load of English people on there going, "How dare this guy be so uh, brash and disparaging towards us?" And uh, but actually, I think people were just saying, "Like, fair play, this guy's tearing us apart." Because he was, he's, he was so concise, and his analysis was was so scathing of England, and also sort of digging up Scotland's performance on the night. And you couldn't argue with what he said. And, no. and but when he there was a little throwaway line where he just said, oh, "I'll tell you what, it ain't coming home with that lot tonight, is it?" And, <laughs> And that whole thing of it ain't coming home with sort yeah, he's 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 done us. But then if it does come home, is that gonna keep is is that gonna is that gonna you know, is that gonna get played back to him now if we miraculously get through uh, four games and win the tournament? 
Yeah. So so that kind of leads slight. Uh, so yeah, this was slightly my other point. It's more a oh, slightly yeah. more serious one. God, there's even more. Wow. Yeah. Um, uh, I was looking at the draw, and um, it's quite. I mean, I, I'm not sure that we'll get through past Germany, but the, <laughs> no that, shit. Yeah. Yeah, but but that outside of the draw now is is Fav- favorable. So the other side of the draw has. Uh, France, Belgium, Portugal, Italy, Spain, and well, Croatia. Croatia are growing. Croatia are growing into themselves. They're getting better. They've got better with each performance. So they're still very dangerous. And you can't yeah. you can't undermine any team that's got people like Modric in it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Unbelievable player. No, but you're right. You're right. If 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 we if we somehow manage to get through <laughs> Germany, I mean, that's that's like saying, oh, if I if I if I manage to break the marathon <laughs> world record. Uh, if I if I do a sub two hour marathon, then you know the next race will be way easier. <laughs> but it is true, you know if if they do, um, yeah, if they do manage to do it, they'll play Sweden or Ukraine, won't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then yeah, I think then right. and then potentially a semi final against like, uh, yeah, or I couldn't you could I think it could even end up being Wales in the semi final if Wales because if Wales beat Denmark, well, yeah. Uh, they play uh, the winner of yeah uh, the Netherlands against Czech Republic, and then the winner of that plays plays us. So it could even be an England Wales semi final. But we're getting a way way ahead of ourselves here. The Port- uh, France's side of the draw is ridiculously yeah. stacked. Well, France have got a very favourable game now. Playing, you know, you'd fancy them against Switzerland. Switzerland squeaked through that group. They were diabolical against Italy. They're actually quite good against Wales, but and then pulled it around against Turkey. who had sort of given up by then. But you would say that France are going to be way too um, experienced and uh, full of quality to to get beaten by Switzerland, and then yeah, but then they they don't they end up playing um, um, the winner of uh, Croatia Spain then if they yeah they do they do they play the winner of Croatia Spain um, in St mm-hmm. Petersburg so yeah that, I mean that's having said that. Spain, I know they tonked Slovakia the other day, but they are an, a shadow of what they used to be. So I wouldn't be that asked about playing Spain. I think they've got a bit of a soft underbelly and they can pass you off the pitch and fail to score. They, I mean, they scored all their goals basically in one match. Um, but until then, they'd, they'd flatter to deceive. And Croatia, you know, I think France, France would beat Croatia. So you look at that and you'd say France are pretty likely to be in the semi-final. I mean, it's good. Italy as well. I mean, they've got Austria now. So you'd, th- you'd say that that's probably one of the, again, more favourable draws they could have got. Um, you know, they win that. They end up playing um, uh, the winner of uh, Belgium-Portugal. I mean, Bel- for me, Belgium-Portugal is the game of the next round, right? That's a, that is a, a titanic battle. That's on Sunday. Oh, so I believe you and I oh, will yeah. be uh, with some other friends um, um, uh Conversing and enjoying some libations uh, whilst <laughs> watching that, and so that's a yeah. So we'll have the um, Netherlands, Czech Republic, and Belgium, Portugal. But Bel- Belgium, Portugal, what a match for me! Belgium are, the, are a better side, they're a the more fluent side, they're a the more likable side. Um, but you never uh, underestimate Portugal. They 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 know how to win. They obviously won it last time. I think as we discussed last week, through coming third in the group, they come. I think they came third in the group in 2016 with three draws. So I don't think they even won a game, and still managed to win the tournament. But then they they also had a when you look back, they had a a pretty cushy route to the final. Obviously, they had to beat France in the final, which is 
very difficult, but um, and they managed it. But uh, yeah, starting off with with Belgium, I mean, I, I really hope Belgium win that. I'd actually quite like to see. I think you know, assuming that England aren't gonna aren't gonna win it, I'd actually quite like to see Belgium win it because I feel that they're they've got such brilliant players, and it get the the lazy narrative, the punditry narrative around them sort of underachieving and throwing them into the same ballpark as this um, obnoxious term golden generation that allegedly England had between about sort of 2004 and 2010, where, you know, I mean, if that's golden, I mean, yes, all right, you could break them down individually and say at club level, they were all world-class players and they were, but every single, they just didn't ever perform. I don't think they even played well in an individual match at a World Cup or Euros, apart from maybe early part of 2004. They were actually quite unlucky to lose on penalties to Portugal in 2004. But after that, it was just miserable stuff. But they say the same thing about Belgium. They, they, they give them the golden generation tag. But, and then they try to suggest that they have failed in the same way that that England team failed. That, that's out of order. Because, yeah, all right, they bowled it a bit in, in 2016. They got done by sucker punch by Wales in the quarterfinal. They really didn't play well on the night. And that was, yeah, I guess that was poor from their perspective. But they did get to the semi-final of the World Cup and uh, in 2018 and knocked out Brazil in a, that is one of the best performances of an international side I've ever seen. They were superb that day. Hazard in particular was unbelievable. So, uh, you know, when have England, like we discussed last week, that they've only ever won one knockout game in history, the European Championships. They've hardly won a, World Cup knockout game uh, since uh, 1990. I mean, there's been a few, and none of them have been against decent sides. So how you could say that the golden generation of England and Belgium are comparable, I've got no idea. And So I'd, I'd actually quite like to see Belgium go on and do it, just to shut people up and show respect. And, and I, I also think that people like um, Kevin De Bruyne, he warrants – I felt so sorry for him when he had to come off in the Champions League final um, – he looked, you know, clearly he had his nose smashed up and, and stuff. And he was just devastated to come off the pitch and he just looked completely crestfallen. So it would be lovely for him to, you know, a month later turn that round and have uh, have success on a national level. And also, I, I quite like it when a country that hasn't won it before um, goes and does it. And that is, as, as we've said, I think before, the beauty of the Euros, that you do get these surprises. Not a Belgium winning would be a surprise, but, you know, you do get kind of different alternative nations winning it in a way that you just would never get in the World Cup. But yeah, it's set up it, it's set up nicely. I do think that this is probably as be- as good a chance as England will ever have of knocking Germany out of a tournament. They have beaten Germany in a tournament in my lifetime. They beat them in, in the groups in Euro 2000. And ironically, at that occasion, neither side got through the group because they were both re- like poor England managed to lose to Portugal in the opening game and then Romania, thanks to Phil Neville, in the last group game. But they beat Germany in between. And it was, you know, the t- classically arrogant English way of looking at things was all about, oh, it's going to be us or Germany to top the group beforehand. And they both ended up getting knocked <laughs> out. And Portugal and uh, and um, and Romania, who were both superior, went through. And Germany were at a real low ebb then. And that was the beginning of them needing to take an introspective look at their football and remodel the entire uh, system, which they did. And they started to, you started to see signs that it was bearing fruit through the um, mid 2000s. They got to the final, sorry, the semi-final of their own World Cup in 2006, despite going into that tournament 
as unfancied as probably any German team had um, in in certainly in my lifetime. Um, but they were they were all of a sudden completely different types of players. They had these really young, expressive, vibrant players. They weren't the kind of functional stereotypes of German sides in the past. And then they started to succeed and really rip things up in um, sort of youth football level. Um, players like uh, Ozil and Lahm and Schweinsteiger um, coming through. And before you know it, they're, they start then reaching finals of tournaments again, lost the final of Euro 2008. I can't remember how they got on in the 2010 World Cup. They get the, I mean, I know they knocked uh, England out, but did they lose? They, they, did they have lost the quarterfinal or semifinal anyway um, in that tournament. And then uh, 2014 win the World Cup. So, you know, that, that's a, that they were on a real progression there. Now they're in this really quite strange um, situation where their long-standing coach, uh, the ball sniffer himself, uh, Yogi Lowe, has, um, is stepping down at the end of the tournament. And he's obviously a coach who has been responsible for most of that journey. He won the World Cup with them. But it's been fizzling out. They had a really poor time at the 2018 World Cup. They looked defensively vulnerable. And he took the bold step a couple of years ago saying to three or four more older, more experienced players, you're not the future. We're going to move on without you. But he's had to kind of go back cap in hand uh, to Thomas Muller and Mats Hummels. And it's just interesting. It's For them to succeed in this tournament, I think it's going to rely on these players really pulling together and kind of doing it for the coach because they want him to leave on a high. Um, but they do look defensively vulnerable. You know, they they, they laboured to um, a two-all draw with Hungary. They were within a few minutes of actually getting knocked out of the tournament or or finishing um, third. They clearly didn't score against France, although they played all right. They were absolutely brilliant against Portugal. Brilliant. And, and you look at that game and you think, right, if they played anything like that, England have got no chance. Um, but, they, but even then, they, they managed to still let in a couple of goals. So, it, so England, it's been a lot of chat about this in the last week. And it is true when you look at it. Teams that win international tournaments are very rarely the ones that right from the first game are just banging in the goals all over the place. Like, um, you know, France won the World Cup by just getting through. They do enough to get through. Yes, they've got some of the most talented footballers in the world and they, they've got the best, they've definitely got the best squad in this tournament. They can replace pretty much any player with another world-class player. But they, that doesn't mean they win every game three or four nil. They do enough to get through. And you could argue that, I mean, England haven't even conceded a goal yet. I would also say the big caveat there is that their group wasn't the strongest or most difficult, as will probably get shown in the next round when I'd say that the other two teams who are in England's group are likely to get knocked out of the first hurdle. Might be wrong, but it's, I'd say it's likely. Croatia got a chance of beating Spain, maybe. But I'd say it's likely they both get knocked out. And it might be that all three go out, because if England lose as well, then nobody from the uh, prestigious group uh, D will make it through to the... Uh, to the quarterfinals. But I would say that, you know, they haven't let in a goal yet and they have looked relatively solid, if unspectacular. And I think people are kind of waiting for the moment where it all clicks into gear and they start firing and playing this outrageous attacking football, which shows off the quality of the players they've got. I'm not sure that moment's ever going to come. I, I don't really know why. I don't think it's an ability thing. I think it is, it is a little bit of a mindset thing. It's probably the way their coach thinks Southgate is, likes to keep quite a tight leash on them. It would be, I'd, I'd love to live in a world where they just felt confident and they could just go out and say, do you know what, just, just play, like just 
go, you know, attack in numbers and, and show your ability and express yourselves. Um, but I don't think that's going to happen. But probably if they did do that against Germany, they'd get done uh, on the on the counter-attack. Because when you've got um, people like Serge Gnabry, who I think is a magnificent footballer, um, and Goretzka, and then you've got like unbelievable talent like Leroy Sane, who's not even getting in the starting eleven. You think, yeah, probably would be in a spot of bother there. It's gonna be, it's gonna be a hell of a, a hell of a game. I'm looking forward to it, and because I'm not like uh, hugely fanatical about England, I want them to win, but I'm not, you know, I won't lose any sleep if they don't. It allows me to actually enjoy it a lot more than probably a lot. Of, I see some people who are like absolutely live for the England national team, and it ruins their life in the same way that supporting Liverpool ruins my life. And so I feel a bit sorry for them, but. I tell you, the, the person who must be enjoying the Euros uh, more than anyone else uh, at the moment, and that must be uh, Daniel Levy, because uh, Dan- Daniel Levy must be so happy that the Euros are going uh, and that nobody is therefore focusing on the utter shambles that Spurs have made of not only sacking their manager, but then two more than two months later, just running around like a blue-ass fly offering the job to anyone who looks like they might have once had done a half-competent job of managing a professional football team and keep being like turned down and then going for people, looking like they're going to give them the job and then saying, uh, uh, no, we don't want you anymore because somebody else has been available. I mean, it is so much like uh, Adam Partridge being offered the uh, Hamilton Waterways video. Going, you can't ask me to say yes and then drop out if Cliff Fulton, if Cliff Fulton becomes available. <laughs> and then when, when he's under a cow, go... Cliff Forburn is an is a snooker an ex snooker player, not a presenter. Yeah, but he's not but he's not under a cow. And and Tottenham have been an absolute. I just can't believe it. I know you're a Spurs fan, Matt, uh, and and I know you you'll be fanatically following this. But like, what is going on? Two years ago, they just come out. They've just been in the Champions League final, and they were like they had an opportunity, a moment in time to like right. We're going to uh, um, establish ourselves as a proper European elite club, like proper. We're here to stay. We're going to continue to qualify for the Champions League. We're going to be contenders for the league title. We're going to make a couple of big statement signings to bolster a squad that's already top quality. We've got an amazing manager. And within two years, the credibility, gone. Gone. They're they're playing in a UEFA Conference League next season, which is, a you know, the... Not even the second place. I mean, I don't know what it is. It's a, it's a joke of a competition. And they have, in the last few weeks, Matt, if you allow me to just scroll through, <laughs> they were initially linked with... They sacked Mourinho on the 19th of April. They give a job to a, a child, essentially, um, to be interim manager until the end of the season, a 29-year-old uh, child, uh, Ryan Mason. They then... They think they're going to get uh, Julian Nagelsmann, one of the most sought-after coaches in Europe, who, for some inexplicable reason, chose to join Bayern Munich uh, above a club that had just finished uh, seventh in the league and qualified for the uh, Conference League. Uh, can't imagine why. Uh, then they, they they also thought that they were going to get the Ajax coach, Eric, Eric Ten Hag, who then, as quickly as a fucking rat up a drainpipe, signed a new contract to stay at Ajax. They then start sniffing around Brendan Rodgers, who uh, made it absolutely clear straight away, I am not leaving uh, Leicester. They, mo- most humiliatingly of all, they then had very obviously run out of ideas. 
So they they went back cap in hand to the manager that they had fired less than two years previously, who by now is managing PSG, you know, a massive um, uh, sort of European powerhouse who uh, at some point are going to end up uh, winning the uh, Champions League. Um, and, you know, again, inexplicably, he, 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 that didn't happen. Then Antonio Conte leaves Inter. So they think, oh, we're going to get uh, Antonio Conte. Makes it clear the, the guy is absolutely not interested. Uh, I think they might have had some initial conversations, but that broke down. Probably when Antonio Conte said, I'd like some money to spend on players. And I'd imagine Daniel Levy said, yeah, it's not really the way we do things. <laughs> it's, not that kind of, it's not that sort of gig. <laughs> then they start going for uh, Paolo Fonseca, who, if you look up, he did an average job at Roma and got fired before the end of last season, ironically to be replaced by Mourinho. And his managerial career is average at best. But he looked like he was on the verge of being offered the job. And they, they were even getting into sort of, you know, the, the things like transfer targets and uh, youth team players and all that sort of stuff. But uh, Gennaro Gattuso, the ex-AC Milan and Italy centre midfielder, who's uh, a quite a controversial manager in his um, few years, uh, then leaves Fiorentina after only about 23 days. And Daniel Levy sees he's available and says, right, uh, piss off, Paolo Fonseca. Uh, Gennaro Cattuso is now available. They then go for Cattuso. But the, 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 <laughs> the, the social media backlash by Tottenham's own fans, because they looked into some of the obnoxious things and controversial things that Cattuso said in the past, is so bad. But Levy, safe in the knowledge that uh, he, he's, he's, we're still pretty close to, you know, the, the 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 similar scathing backlash of the European Super League, he didn't want to piss off the fans anymore. So he then backtracked on that, didn't offer Gattuso the job, and had by then burnt his bridges with Fonseca. So that's two more gone. <laughs> now Jurgen Klinsmann said, asked live on TV as the ex-Spurs legend Jurgen Klinsmann, would you be interested in the job? And he says, absolutely. So you're thinking, okay, are, we, are they going to go down that low road now? Is it going to be Jürgen Klinsmann? But no, they go and apparently make a, a, a quote, staggering financial offer to Julian, uh, Julian uh, Lopetegli, who um, uh, was manager of Spain at the last World Cup, but then controversially had to quit right before the tournament because he'd taken a Real Madrid job. Got a bit of a raw deal at Real Madrid, Real Madrid but now he's coach of Sevilla and they are brilliant and and overachieving as always and a, a top four team in Spain again can't think why he didn't want to he didn't want to leave all that and uh and 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 go to Tottenham and now finally it looks like today the uh, recently departed Wolverhampton Wanderers manager Nuno Espirito Santo who has been available throughout um <laughs> Uh, and and was touted for the job back in uh, May, in the early days of the recruitment process, will probably get offered and accept the job. I mean, that is a shambles. What an absolute joke. Do you feel proud, Matt? Well, I just hope we don't lose Kane. That could really be problems then. Well, I'm sure that that... That time, you know, the, the actions of the last two months that I've just beautifully detailed for you will convince him to stay because he must be thinking, <laughs> oh, I'm so glad to be at such a stable club who knows what they're doing. We're all pulling in the same direction here. <laughs> Christ alive. But I just, I wanted to make sure that, uh, that we discussed that before the end of the podcast. Don't try and cut any of this out. This is a, this is a good quality uh, uh, it's gonna, podcast. It's going to be Euros week number two plus... Plus a bit of plus a bit of Matt Hancock and Tottenham. <laughs> it's what everyone's talking about. Everyone's talking about 
Matt Hancock. They're talking about Tottenham. They're talking about what their favourite <laughs> chocolate bar is, uh, and they're talking about the European Championships. Yeah. And uh, and on that on that on that bombshell, uh, I've got to go now. I've got a um, photo shoot of Vision Express, so uh, I'm. <laughs> I'm off. And uh, so on that bombshell for another week, it's time for uh, us both to say goodbye. Say goodbye, Matthew. <laughs> goodbye. Goodbye.